Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reconciled Life Podcast, the podcast where we explore racial reconciliation through the lens of interracial marriage. I am one of your hosts, Holly Brown. And I am the other, Aaron Brown. Welcome and thank you for listening to The Reconciled Life. Uh, This week we are taking some questions, uh, not from each other like we did last week, but from other people that were submitted. And we're going to answer some of those for you. So other people are like, well, what do you guys think about this? So we're going to delve into those. We don't really need much of an intro for that because we're answering questions. <laughs> and the state of the world is still uh, <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> a dumpster fire. And so there's no read, really, reason to really delve into that at this moment. So let's just go into the questions, if we will. I think I was honored that people actually ask us questions. Yeah, and some were very solicited, but that's okay. Uh, We're just being transparent, okay? Uh, So I'll read the first, and then we'll just sort of talk about it and move on. Conversate, if you will. I don't know if that's actually a word. It should be. It should be. I like it. Uh, So many of your guests are lamenting how the church is failing to demonstrate a... Reading can be difficult. Yes. So many of your guests are lamenting how the church is failing to demonstrate a relentless commitment to inclusion and equity. With everything we see happening in the world, oof, the oof was me, nothing, and all the efforts taken to show church leaders what needs to be done, why do you think the church is still dragging its feet? Great question. Not an easy one to kick us off with yeah. by any means. Hey, Let's just we, talk about the We church. love a challenge. <laughs> uh, I do think it's important for us to, and this was something I heard on a podcast I was listening to this week. Uh, no, it was the one we listened to on the drive, uh, oh, yeah. the happy hour, and with Lecrae. The happy hour podcast. We were not driving and participating in a happy hour. But hey, you do you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it's 2020. Don't Everything drink and goes. drive. Don't do that. Yeah, but if you're the passenger seat, hey. The um, <laughs> outtakes. No, we're leaving. It. It's a spicy episode, everybody. Buckle uh, in. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> the um, so for this question, uh, something that Lecrae said in that interview was that it's important to recognize the church as the institution and the church as in what Christ has deemed the body of believers around the globe. Uh, And so a lot of times when we say the issue with the church, it's not really true, uh, like individual people following Christ around the globe. It's a lot of times institutions, denominations, conferences. Wait, I'm getting confused. So you're saying when we're talking about the church, we're talking about the big C church, like global church? Well, I'm saying I think we conflate the two, and that's okay. not always fair. Okay. In uh, the idea that the church is the institution, a lot of issues. The church, capital C church, the body of, the global body of believers, okay. there's a lot of good happening there. Yes. We're, we shouldn't define the capital C church as the Ameri- local, church the local the American, American denominations. Church. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because the Christians in Syria aren't really having this problem. Yeah. You know, there are persecuted people around the world who are still following the Lord and yeah. under immense pressure and odds and persecution. And so I say that to say we just should be careful to say that so people don't think we're poo pooing like the 
Yeah, poo poo. We got we got toddlers. We're it's not that funny. It is to hear it come out of like in this like we're talking about the global church. Hey, we're being real real. We're being real real today, people. Uh, that. I do think it's important to say that like, we're not trying to say the capital C church is a problem. We're here to say that there are issues of some, like any man-made institution that has issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what this point is getting to is it feels like where we have focused most of our attention this season is on white evangelicalism. Uh, and sort of the local church in America. And so let's reread the actual question because we've talked a lot to clarify since we started it. But basically, they're asking with everything we see happening in the world and all the efforts taken to show church leaders what needs to be done in regards to racial um, tension, why do you think the church is still dragging its feet? So. I think you are raising an excellent point that we need to make sure we're not saying that Christ Church, Big C Church, is the one dragging its feet, but that it's individual branches of local churches, primarily in the West. Yes. Okay. Um, And I think it's important to say that we recognize that it's not everywhere, but we also recognize it is more prevalent than many people like to think it is. Yeah, or are aware that it is. Are aware. To understand that there are a lot of practices in churches that, I mean, if we're just going to be honest, that fit the idea of white supremacy and not KKK white supremacy, although historically there were KKK meetings held in churches and that historically people would leave churches to go to lynchings. And so, and I don't say that to be like, the church is a problem, but we do have a history. Uh, The church has a history of allowing racism into the doors and saying it's okay. And I would say part of the reason why they're dragging their feet is they haven't actually dealt with the history. That there hasn't been an actual moment of saying, we were wrong, we lament that, how do we correct it and move forward? Uh, Especially here in the South, where we just like to forget anything ever happened. That we just act like it never happened and we continue on. We're like, well, that's just not who we are anymore. But you can't say that, you know, that's part of how you built your foundation. And that foundation, I would say, is not very secure. There are going to be cracks this is for people who are trying to buy a house, and we've been seeing lots of houses with bad foundations and lots of inspectors telling us, well, the foundation of this house, and that's why they're stressed with these cracks here. And I say that because like, you can look at it and like, this is an awesome house. Look at all this stuff it has going for you. And then be like, oh, you get it inspected and look at things we're not totally trained to look at. And they're like, well, you know, 50 years from now, literally we just heard like this was like a dumping ground. So the ground isn't really steady. So the slabs are cracking, and then it's pulling away from the house, destroying roofs. And you're like, wow. Wow, this is going to cost twenty thousand dollars and a month and a half to fix, or this is going to cost fifty thousand dollars, or you know whatever. And I think in a way that's what the church is sort of dealing with at this point. It's like there are elements of the foundation, not the biblical foundation, elements of the man-made institutional, made institutional foundation. Yes, that's also an important caveat. Yes, thank you. Uh, that we're seeing those cracks, and I feel like the church has said, "Well, let's just put." some spackle on it. Let's just cover it up. Let's paint the wall instead of saying, uh, let's repair the foundation. Let's admit that there's a problem here and fix it. 
So in essence, what you are saying needs to be needs to happen is for churches to go back through their archives, so to speak, and be like, hey, here's all these examples of times that we did not oppose racism, that we have not stood up and stood with the marginalized. We need to evaluate ourselves as to why that has been recurrent. Um, and then figure out how to change our ways. Because I think some listeners will say, well, all of the members who went to a lynching have passed away. Like all mm. of, you know, it, is it really fair to say our church is the same church that opened the doors to the KKK? So what do you say to that? Uh, I would say there is a, I, I think it's so interesting that a lot of people are like, well, we're not racist because we weren't part of the KKK. Or we weren't racist because blah, 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 blah. Uh, and something we're going to expound on is this idea that racism, like a lot of things, is a spectrum. And and there are a lot of things that point to white supremacy and not shave your head, uh, swastikas everywhere, but white supremacy that says we believe white to be right. We believe that white leaders, white authors are the preeminent voices for our religion and that we don't totally listen to the voices of marginalized people of color unless it's about an, about racism. And then we're only going to sometimes, I mean, if you look in this time to look at all the like, we're having a conversation about race. It's like a whole bunch of white leaders and they go find one person of color yeah. that is supposed to represent the, the <laughs> all people of color. And it's like, or and that's if they invite a person of color. There have yeah. been conversations that they're like, yeah. we're just going to talk about race without putting anybody that has experienced it or from their community, like they don't have anybody to call or they don't think to call anybody, which is part of it. And and I say it's a spectrum because there's just so much between microaggressions and who you hire, what you're looking for. And then if you do have a person of color, what is the culture of your department? Do they have to become, as we said in the Thomas episode, sort mm-hmm. of fit in the white box? They need to do things similar to white culture to fit in. Uh, it's just so many things. So, that, so for people listening, and I know for me early on in this journey, and sometimes even still now, someone throws out the term white supremacy and it's like, my goodness, no, I'm not going to be associated with anything white supremacy related because I still think of the Charlottesville rally that happened a couple of years back and the white militia groups. And so I think another thing Lecrae said in the podcast that we listened to, which we'll link it for you guys in the show notes. Um, We're getting fancy with those I show know. notes. Yeah. Uh, which I think, Aaron, you're doing a great job expounding on is that white supremacy um is this spectrum. And so for those of us who might get defensive when we're saying there's white supremacy still in the church, for me growing up in a white perspective in a predominantly white church in a white, and even now being part of the majority culture in the Baptist denomination, for me, it's like, well, all the authors I read through in seminary, like all or 90 plus percent of them were white authors about religion things that I was reading. And so I think that's a great point that you're getting at, that white supremacy also just echo is not echoes, but comes to bear and comes to light in that if all of the leaders that we have listened to and respected of are white outside of maybe the 
the Tony Evans, the Martin Luther King Juniors, and those should be respected and included, but if those are our only sources for biblical wisdom from a voice of color, that is an element of our culture saying that white is right. Yes, and and I think another way to think about it is an elevation of white voices. Uh, so that, and this circles back to our, we've talked a lot about representation. And so even for, we talk a lot of it from the perspective of minority, but even for the majority, mm-hmm. if you only see yep. reflected in your news and your books and your literature and your pastors and your teaching white voices, then you start to think there are no yeah. value, uh, there are no valid scholars that are of color and so you start to believe that that you own um christian knowledge which is false because who who can own it but the lord and uh and we all bring such a different perspective to it you know he made us all different for that reason um and i do want to circle back something you said about like people in the church saying like well that wasn't me so why should i have to do this is that i i think that this idea, we we are moving past this idea of confession to this where people are like, well, that wasn't me, so I don't have to worry about it. Or to, but to recognize that as our history is can be collective. If you look at like, as I said, we talked to I'm in the old or I actually just moved out of the Old Testament <laughs> Bible plan. I was like, thank you, Lord, it's October. Um, but. So much of what the Israelites went through in the Old Testament was about what had happened before. Yeah. And about the generations before and yeah. how that was a direct result of why they were in exile. Yeah. And those people didn't get to say to God, well, we didn't do it. And it's like, that's not the point. Yeah. There are still ramifications for sin. There are still consequences. Mm-hmm. And there are still uh, ripple effects yeah. of what happened. Now, the Lord can use those to uh, still glorify his name. Yes. But it doesn't change the fact that it all started with sin. Yeah. The Lord can redeem it, but it doesn't change the fact that it was sin. And so I feel like people sort of want to get out of jail free card, but it wasn't me. So it's not, I shouldn't have to pay for it. It's like, well, look at the Bible and uh, go tell that about all of the Old Testament. (laughs) Uh, Because the Lord, God, Yahweh, as they say, (laughs) would uh, disagree. So there you have it, folks. Yes. (laughs) No, I think that was really good. And the other thing that I would like to add on is um, I think it also goes back to you don't know what you don't know type of mindset. And so, like, for me, I was completely unaware that this would be an issue until however many years ago when I started this journey of learning more about the reality of our nation, our country, and now I would add on to that our faith um, and how it is dominated by white voices and a white narrative. And so I think, as you mentioned even just a minute ago about like, well, if you do happen to have a person of color on your staff, even within that, like, is it just a tokenism person of color or is it they are here and hopefully more than one, but to truly bring awareness and advancement in a place for the people of color in our church. That and they're so, actually listened to and respected yeah. and not just about 
your black history celebration. Yeah. And not just about the one gospel song your church is going to sing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I do think there's also this element of like for this question, why do you think the church is still dragging its feet? I would say for a lot of, and I'll be honest, like Bible preaching churches, I mean, churches that we would say preach salvation is through Jesus alone. Um, yeah, they'll teach that salvation through Jesus is alone, but not, uh, I'm just going to say it, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and not and not the group, as we said before, but to... Individualize. Yes, but to say our minority brothers and sisters in this country and around the world have value. Yes. Which, that's, that's what my point, though, is. Yeah. Like, there are Christians that we love and respect... Um, and churches that we respect that is preaching accurate salvation, but they are not, I would say, aware there's not an element of education. I think one part of it, it you can attribute, like, it's ignorant. You can't. Do you think it's ignorant? This is this is a, this is a real conversation, y'all, because I, I, think, don't, I don't understand how in 2020, to be alive and awake in this moment, that you could still stand up for the past four or five months and not be like, well, we should maybe address the idea of race and and have a little self-examination of ourselves to go, are we, are we doing this right? I think, yes, people are aware of that, but I, I do think there's genuine ignorance to take it past that. I do think there's genuine ignorance to that for pastors in predominantly white suburbs who have never been around communities of color or pastors of color or just people of color. Um, I, I do think that there's genuine ignorance to know beyond, I should check my own heart because if you think about it, which we'll talk about next week, but if our education system has been dominated by a white narrative, if our judicial system has bias b- literally birthed into it from the beginning um, to give a white person the benefit of the doubt and to send a person of color more likely to jail. If, for longer, yeah. For longer. If our healthcare system has been shown that For example, black women are, I think it's three times more likely to die in childbirth because they are less likely to be believed regarding... I mean, I just think there is an element of if you have grown up completely... I think of that movie, what was it? The Truman Show or whatever? Like, you... And I I think it is a fine line. I'm not trying to say that they are without accountability uh, because I think to your point, that is true. Like... After 2020, I think of that verse in Romans, like even the rocks will cry out um, if mankind doesn't. And not, I think there's a similarity of like after this year, like even the rocks have to be crying out. Like America, you have a problem, (laughs) even if we are not going to address it. But I think the depth of the problem and the recognition of the right way to address it and start to actually get to the foundation, I think a lot of people... To go back to your foundation analogy, I think a lot of people who have not taken the time to learn how to educate themselves are just putting paint on the foundation cracks. And they think that's all they need to do because they can't see the crack anymore. I hear that. And I guess it's my more pessimistic view is that there are a lot of 
pastors who are very smart. And there are a lot of, and maybe this isn't fair for the small church in the middle of nowhere, but, but there are a lot of mega church pastors. Oh, I'm not talking about who, mega church pastors. Well, but I think, I don't think it's fair to, well, we can get to that later, but like, I feel as if there is a point to where some potential church leaders are weighing the cost. And if they oh, know that, I, their, I agree demo- with that their demographic of their congregation would leave or stop giving and they decide it is not worth speaking the truth, like that to me is mind blowing yeah. uh, and, and selfish and pride, you know, driven by pride. But, but I'm, and I don't know, that's that stuttering is just me being frustrated <laughs> and not knowing how to fix it uh, to say that I think there are, the sum up, I think there are lots of reasons why the church is dragging its feet, some selfish, some ignorant, some yeah. historical, uh, put all that in a blender and that's <laughs> that's where it is. But I think this ties into the next question is, if we are to identify one target goal of racial reconciliation, what would it be? Is a target different for our nation as opposed to the church? So we say it's dragging its feet. What does it look like when they get in gear and start running the yeah. race? What What would make us feel like ah, yes, we've, we've arrived. Uh, what's your answer, Holly? <laughs> I was just thinking, this one is another difficult question. Um, I'm going to read it again. If you were to identify one target slash goal of racial reconciliation, what would it be? Is the target different for our nation as opposed to the church? Um, the, I'm going to start with the second question. I think the target being different for our nation versus the church, yes and no. I think the goal is racial reconciliation, meaning the white majority being willing to sit down and listen and then make amends and make strides for peace with the marginalized group, which would be people of color in our country. The church, as with everything, has a deeper and higher calling to these goals. Mm -hmm. And so I think the surface level is something that racial reconciliation, we believe and are passionate about, that that's part of the heart of God. Um, And so it is a God-honoring goal for our nation to be able to move to that way. But I think there's also an understanding, and there needs to be an understanding, that the church has a different function and a higher purpose and a higher calling for everything that we do. And so the national goals, I feel like in a, in a country that is striving to honor God with its laws and rulings and those type of things, but the national goals will be a more surface level, if that makes sense, than what I would say the church goals are. Um, now that's a big if that the nation is actually trying to follow biblical commands and laws. Um, which... Well, this is even interesting, though, because I know, I know, in this election year, there are lots of opinions uh, about, you know, one nation under God and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think regardless if our if the nation is actually following Christ, that they're can still be good and truth in it. Yeah, 
I agree with that. I wasn't trying to say that there wouldn't be. I think like every good law, no matter what what country you're in, and no matter what is the the dominant religion, like truth is truth. So every nation that has a law, you can't murder someone, whether they would identify as a Christian nation or not. To me, that is a law that represents God's heart. Um, And so I think that is an interesting thing, though, because I would also say America... I don't really see as being a nation that cares about the laws of God anymore. Ooh, spicy hot take from uh, Holly Brown. But I think that's part of the issues because a lot of Christians are holding on um, and... Yeah, I mean, racism isn't a biblical value (laughs) that a lot of people are upholding next to nationalism? Question mark? Quote, unquote, proud boys? Uh, Yeah. I, yes. I'm going there. No, I know. A, spicy I, hot takes all around today. Aaron is in the mood <laughs> to be real. Um, no, what I was going to say was, I think something that I have learned um, is that, yes, our nation did have morally, biblically moral laws when it was founded. However... I used to be a person that stopped there. Like, yeah, our nation was founded on biblical principles. And I have come (laughs) to realize and understand that there is a gaping hole. And that is a completely completely incomplete (laughs) sentence in that. Um, It does have biblical moral foundations, but it also has biblical immoral foundations if you will like there's also sin that was birthed into the heart of the country just like when a human is born um such as slavery um and i think greed like i mean a selfishness like all of those sins which because what majority america knows is history and knows the words of the con or the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that all men are created equal, but no one likes to remember the clause about black persons being three-fifths of a person and not actually valued as human life. And so I think... At the same time. at this Yeah, at the same time. And so this is kind of a major rabbit trail off of this question, but so I, I no longer would say that I believe that the nation was completely founded on biblical principles yeah. because it was founded on sin as well. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like what you're saying is like as a, as a church slash nation, which are eerily becoming connected right now at this point uh, in our life, that, that to be a patriot and to be Christian is almost to be one and the same. And Not for everybody, but no, there is a no, sect. There is a sect that, that, is, that is trying to connect those. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. Like, the you can't serve two masters, yeah. and patriotism... Uh, was not one. And the word America is not in the Bible, but we won't talk about that right now. Uh, well, we kind of are. I think back to the question, it is hard to say what the one goal would be because it's yeah. such a mess right yeah. now. The church, the the nation, every oh, sector. Oh, yeah, that's the, where I was going with it. Uh, <laughs> we're back. And we're, we're back. back. <laughs> uh, that it's all such a mess that I don't know. Uh, I don't even think for me that it has to be fixed. I think what I want to see is actual 
active Movement. restoration and Progress, yeah. um, we're supposed to go 180 degrees from sin is that I want actual repentance yeah. and not another conversation that leads to no action, not another, well, we stand with you and then you still are gaslighting people of color to your churches or saying that, oh, we just didn't think it was important or we just didn't feel it would make, it would be a political statement, it would make people feel uncomfortable that uh, you wouldn't affirm the lives of your people of color in your congregation and in the nation. And so I think for me, it is it is a dismantling of, and, and not fulfilled, but steps and actually trying to dismantle uh, the structures and institutions that are racist and uh, support white supremacy, that to me, we have to do more than just uphold it and try to tinker and be like, well, we'll fix it. It's like, well, no, there are times where you have to tear it down and rebuild. And I think I am interested in people actually wanting to do the hard work and saying, let's take it down to the foundation and repair it and then build it back up. When I see a church or a nation going that far to go to be inconvenienced, as we talked about, mm-hmm. the, the cost of diversity can be inconvenient for people to go beyond their convenience level, to be inconvenienced, to be put out, but to know that this is right to see people actually humbling themselves and lifting up the minority in their congregation to care less about themselves and how they feel and how they're represented and more about people that have been ostracized. When I see an actual commitment to that, not on one Sunday, not a conversation that makes some people feel uncomfortable, uh, but like an actual, look, this is what we're doing. Here is our timeline. Everybody buckle up. If you don't like it, you can leave in a kind Christian way, but not uh, so often when we start that, the people that tithe the most start to grumble and then the church will start to back off. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see churches saying, well, no, this is truth. And even if we have to struggle a little bit, we will do that to Mm -hmm. make sure we're following the Lord. And and to understand that's not about like trying to be cool and hip because anti-racism is cool. It's like to recognize that there is a cost uh, to doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of people of color have had to take the brunt of mm-hmm. to go to find a home for themselves where they felt valued and included. Uh, and I would just love to see the church and a nation as a whole making those steps. That would make me feel like, oh, we're actually working towards something. Right now we're getting a lot of, a lot of lip service and I could do without that. Yes, he could. I yes. could really. <laughs> it's really true. His uh, yeah. least favorite thing. Um, I think because I would say our nation is not necessarily a biblical nation or a God-honoring nation, that it's time that we as Christians accept that and kind of own that as well, that our nation should also be a mission field. Um, And so to that end, I would say churches should be, and I know I'm not the first one to say this, but churches should be leading the way and showing the nation what those steps, like the church should be several steps ahead of the nation in this road of racial reconciliation to kind of show and highlight the areas, the, those surface level areas that the, the nation could be adapting. But I don't think we are there yet, which is <laughs> um, heartbreaking. And I know we, you're hearing us be 
frustrated and passionate about it, but there's also a lot of sadness that has happened in conversations um, between us as we talk about these type of things. I think going off of what you said, Erin, that the actual practical steps, like where are, and I am someone who I am a practical thinker. I love to figure out what does this mean on a day-to-day basis? And so my thought goes to like, where are the churches who are starting or buying or building racial reconciliation, small group, home group, Sunday school guides? Where where are the action steps taking every church member, every student through this saying, we have to figure out how to be the light in our country right now. And when our country for the past year has been battling racial tension, we should start to become equipped about it. Like, where- And I think that's for... A predominantly white church, a multiracial yeah. church, it's yeah. every church. Every church. Like, yeah. how do we reconcile with those around us? How do we lead our community in reconciliation? Where are the the sermons that are more than just five minutes here or there? Or the one sermon that mentions it once and then we never hear about it again? Like, it needs to be part of the fabric of the heart of the church. And I know every church has their mission statements, um, but as Aaron said, like, we don't, it's not the lip service. It's the actual, if it's not part of your mission, let's see you adapt it in and start actually living it out. As Tony Robinson said in the first interview that we did, like if you're in a predominantly white community, you're. it's not saying your church has to suddenly find diversity in a community that there like hardly is any, but are you learning about it? Are you... Are you reaching out to others who who have walked this journey before you? Are you trying to equip yourself? Education? I mean, like, there's just, I think, so many practical steps. And we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. But for me, that would also be the actual steps to say, oh, people are taking this seriously. And they are learning why slavery several hundred years ago still has a ripple effect and why it still is something that needs to be understood and addressed and why and how our nation still has institutions that have racism founded in them and why have they not been overtaken yet i mean churches are filled with lawyers doctors teachers sanitation workers i mean you name it we could be affecting those areas but if the church members are unequipped then they're not going to be able to do it as successfully. Yeah. Now I'll read the next question. We're used to hearing and believing that there are two or more sides to every issue. Therefore, on so many issues, we say that we can agree to disagree. However, for BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, it feels like you believe it's okay for black people to be murdered, often on camera, or you don't. It doesn't feel like there's another, quote, side to that issue. In fairness, is the issue more nuanced than that? Is this something that we really can agree to disagree on? If not, is there room to remain in fellowship with those that disagree or should we write them off? That's a lot. Uh, The majority can agree to disagree and their lives are largely unaffected. But for people of color, they face violence and a fight for their lives without the aid or even acknowledgement of the majority. So the actual question is, is it okay to agree to disagree regarding 
the murder, the unjust murder of black people. I think they're primarily talking about police brutality. Should BIPOC be expected and should continue to embrace and walk in relationship with someone that says, eh, there's another side to why Mud Arbery was murdered or... Yeah, the this is an interesting question because I think for me, I am at a point where I don't, I, I can't, I think. It's not healthy for me at this point. And I think that's because why are we trying to rationalize the murder of individuals? Like, that, that is, is dumbfounding to me. Uh, that we want to, because oftentimes they say, well, there's more to it. They were a criminal or they were blah, 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 or they were blah, blah, blah. And no one, I'm not going to say no one, there are some people, but I would say for the most part, the majority, there are always extremes on any sort of, any sort of issue. Uh, but most people are asking for accountability for these types of murders. Yeah. Not well, they need to be killed right back. Yeah, uh, that's but a great point. the idea of accountability, and and this is where we say the idea of white supremacy uh, is alive and active, and not in such a way as the KKK, but that we will elevate the lives of white police officers who murder individuals who don't have weapons, or in the case of, you know, Breonna Taylor, like the yeah. the jury came back and Breonna Taylor was murdered in her bed, asleep in her own home, in a botched raid. Uh, and yet, of the police officers, one was indicted, basically, for his bullets that went into the neighboring apartments yeah. where three... Possible endangerment. Yeah, the possible endangerment of three of, three of her, Breonna Taylor's next-door neighbors. Yeah. So, in essence, the wall and the neighbors not even affected got more justice than Breonna Taylor. It's the yeah. elevation of the white individuals over black life. That we say, well, it's okay for them to have been murdered because they were a criminal at one point. And because they were a criminal, we cannot trust them. They are most likely dangerous, and we should definitely shoot to kill and not ask questions. And there should be no accountability for the murder of this individual because their life didn't really matter anymore anyway. Or their life is worth less than this white man and so therefore we're not going to hold them accountable like that to me is ridiculous and infuriating uh to to say that and i know people say well that's not what we're saying but that's what your actions say that is what that that ruling says that is why your the black community and people of color are frustrated because because our white Brothers and sisters, the white community, and I say brothers and sisters because yes, some we go to church with, they're like, we just don't get it. And I go, I don't understand why you can't. Even when we explain it, they'll still be like, well, I still don't, I don't think that. Then I'm crazy for seeing it like that. Yeah. And then that's gaslighting. I'm crazy because, and, and we're like, well, there's a history of this. Uh, and not just police brutality, like just a history of the value of white life over black life um, and how things are framed historically to fit that narrative and that's why I say I, I can't. I think we have to be a people in the church who value life and want accountability yeah. 
yeah. when there is sin and when there is murder. Like those are things that we should want, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't be like, well, because they were a criminal at one point, therefore they deserved it. Like Which why? Is completely opposite of Christianity. Yeah. Like, forget, like, we all deserve death, and yeah. Christ gives us life. The idea <laughs> Not of mercy. Not the other way around. Uh, but. but the idea that we all serve a God of, who values justice, and the idea that we just don't care about it if it's excessive force from a police officer, typically a white police officer, uh, and the policing of black bodies. Yeah. That, and that to me, and so for me, uh, I understand what the this questioner is asking is that largely that let's just agree to disagree is a sign of white privilege because it's not costing you anything to agree to disagree. The, the minorities, the BIPOCs, they are having to bear the brunt of you agreeing of agreeing to disagree while their family member, friends, whatnot, community members are dead without any sort of accountability. Uh, the white community is like, uh, they probably literally it sounds like they're saying they deserved it yeah uh which and we saw the same sort of thing with me too and even with uh with women and uh sexual assault and the idea of we see it a lot that women just aren't believed and men uh they're like well we don't want to ruin his life Despite the fact, and this woman was traumatized and will have to overcome this for the rest of her life. This is a pain and a scar that she will have to deal with. Uh, And but we're like, oh well, we just don't know, so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, This, that to me is just is just crazy. So Uh, one thing that I have thought of is like in scripture, we are given examples of when Christ engaged in conversations and in relationships with people um, that disagreed with him, that didn't understand Mm -hmm. um, that we're seeking, so to speak. And then we also see how Christ engaged with people who weren't actually interested in in understanding who weren't actually interested in learning why he was saying the things that he said um and for the most part pharisees is the obvious group that comes to mind um they kind of had just had that mindset of like we disagree with you like well it started as we agree to disagree and then it turned (laughs) into we want to kill jesus um but i've just been reminded that christ didn't give them the same interaction that he did with those, like I think of the rich young ruler who came and asked Christ, like, what do I need to do to be saved? And Christ actually engaged him in that conversation and said, here's what you need to do. Knowing that man was still going to turn away from Christ, but Christ still engaged him and gave him answers. But when it comes to the Pharisees, for the most part, you see Christ confronting their sin Mm -hmm. and confronting their wrong ideology and walking away. Like it wasn't this engagement of him having an ongoing conversation trying to convince them. He he stated his truth and then he turned. And so I think there also has been this expectation on the minority community that this overextension of the benefit of the doubt and the grace. And we are expected to not get super frustrated when 
for example, a white person says, well, the cops, you know, they messed up and they accidentally shot Breonna Taylor in their sleep. Like, it was just a mistake. No, it was murder. Um, and I, I don't know. I just think, like, if we were in a hospital and we found out that the same physician kept making, quote-unquote, accidental mistakes that ended up in people's deaths, like, I would be going ballistic if that happened and I found out about it. Like, why is this man still, you know? And so, again, like... Yeah, there is no other profession in no the world. no other profession. There is no other profession. Uh, and, and we should say again... This is not a bash the police thing. We, yes, we support our police officers that, and we know police officers that are out there doing the deal that, you know, they are praying they make it home each night with their families. Uh, I know police officers didn't make it home. And so this is not that. But we also want to, that doesn't excuse the ones that are abusing their power. And the idea that we just say lump them all together is ridiculous to the good ones. There is no other profession where we're like, uh, you killed some people. Okay. Well, we'll just all huddle behind you. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah. And so I think that is an unfair expectation that for those who see it as a murder, for example, that, we're just supposed to say, oh, we agree to disagree. Like, in no other realm, if we know someone was murdered, are we going to be okay with saying, like, oh, you don't think they were? Okay. You know, like, that's just, yeah. again, it goes back to accountability and justice. Um, and so I also think, um, going back to what you said, Aaron, at the beginning of, like, how it's perceived when someone says, I'm going to have to agree to disagree. Well, they were a criminal. They had a rough past. So you don't know what this person was about ready to do. Like I think of Jacob Blake and we heard that argument a lot with him. Um, But something we would tell our students a lot at our previous institution is that in impact versus intent, impact is always actually what matters because that's the takeaway. And so if what you are saying to someone has a negative or scarring impact regardless of your intent it's on you to go start that conversation and be more understanding and try to make amends so to speak um and so i would say that applies here as well like if you are someone who has said like i don't we're gonna have to agree to disagree i don't think it was it should be counted as a murder you need to understand what that impact is in your statement Um, And then I'd say it's on you to start that education journey to try to understand why your impact maybe was different than what you intended. but Or to understand that you are totally dismissing the views of your brothers and sisters that are of color. Like, and that's to me, that's the sort of agree to disagree is, is you promoting and elevating your voice over theirs. Uh, I I believe that there can be a lot of room for diversity of thought in our church and yeah. experiences. I think we're not asking for uniformity no. because that that can be dangerous in a different way. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that yeah, agreeing and disagree is totally dismissive, uh, and understand that you also can't you if you want to espouse that belief. Don't be mad when the people of color decide that they can't engage with you. Yeah, the, you can't you can't demand both of yes. them. That that's true supremacy <laughs> <laughs> trying to reign over them in that way. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so now these our last three will move a little bit quicker on, and there are things uh, just... They're a little more lighthearted. Yeah, they're just more about sort of our relationship and not the nation as a whole, so it'll yeah. be a little easier. Uh, what was the, so we think. Yeah, yeah, until we start answering. What was the most surprising thing you learned in your racial reconciliation journey? I have no idea. I was like, when you would start, because I don't think I know either. Um, I think I'm continually surprised by how pervasive it is in the sense of like like we'll talk we've been alluding to next week's episode quite a bit but for me I think it really was like oh the the scales falling off your eyes or whatever to see like oh this really does affect every part of our nation um I think I'm I'm continually reminded because I have I am a person in the majority privilege is real and it's real across a lot of boards I think I agree. I think the moment you get woke, as they say, like um, the idea of and I've said on this podcast before, like I grew up in a lot of white spaces and because of my life and I had a fairly privileged upbringing yeah. uh, that doesn't extend to white privilege. But when my privileged upbringing sort of hit its ceiling mm-hmm. because white privilege is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's as far as you get. Like that sort of meeting, yeah. that tension is what I was like, whoa, what? Like it's sort of that feeling of, wow, racism is a real thing. I think for me, I just thought we were further down this yeah. road as a country. Yeah. Uh, and then retroactively looking back at things that that used to feel like home, no longer felt familiar because the facade of everything was gone. And I was like, oh, Wow. You really don't actually care about what I say. Yeah. I was okay because I fit your white box. Um, and so, yeah, I think I agree. It hasn't been so much between us. It's yeah. been about sort of our, us together. And I think even in an interracial marriage, and this is maybe a revelation right now, that <laughs> because I'm married to someone who is in the majority uh, and her awareness of what that brings, we sort of get to have the conversations of my experience versus her experience in some of the same exact spaces. Yeah. And yeah. so that is really interesting to be like, oh, wow, I didn't see it like that because that was, they weren't speaking to me in that way. Like yeah. what they said rang different to me than <laughs> yes. it rang different to you. Uh, and how we can communicate with that. Like, yeah, I felt really uncomfortable doing worship. And she's like, really? Why? And I'm like, uh, blah, 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 blah. She's like, oh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. Nope, that yeah. totally makes sense. And so sort of us both learning to sort of translate what yeah. we hear because, you know, words matter. And there are a lot of things that are said uh, because they've been said like that forever. And when you dissect it, you're like, oh, that's code for white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so... Yeah, And I'll throw in there, not that this podcast is about that, but even I feel like the racial reconciliation journey has also started making me more aware of the priv- like male versus female privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've started having some of those conversations too. Yeah. To- Which I was like oblivious to. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, the, I'm nice to women. And she's like, yeah, there's a system. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. And I had to do, and I, you know, at work, at church, other places, like, I try to not be a part of that system. You know, how can I tear it down? I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the work too, people. Now he's like so extreme. I'm like, Aaron, it's okay. (laughs) 
And I think that even expounded having a daughter. She was yeah. first. And I was like, listen, you can do anything. You know? And so Holly's like, calm down. She's, she's three. Okay, she just to throw this in there. So because our oldest is a daughter and when we were decorating her room, Erin uh, like created a huge poster for mm-hmm. her that says, why be a princess when you can be a queen? And I just, I love it. But the first time we started talking about it, because we were talking about Disney princess, and he was like, no, I want her to grow up knowing she's not confined to the role of a princess. And I need some man to come save her. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole, we'll have to do a whole different. And don't, uh, I'll tell you, the woman who uh, crushed the Disney princess bubble is Holly Rochelle Brown. She, you know, you're like, part of your work. She's like, don't sing that aerial mess around me. And I was like, oh, wow. We got into a very heated conversation about yeah. Belle, yeah. all these princesses. Mm-mm. And so she, yeah, you should yeah. read it. She's got an old blog about it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on. <laughs> what do you do as a couple and as a family to celebrate each other's culture? That is also a great question. A lot of it has been sort of understanding the the beauty that black culture offers and trying to um, honor that with our kids. You know, Eliza is three and she got a Black Panther costume for uh, just because, really, because Chadwick Boseman passed and Holly saw it. She's like, I'm buying it. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we, we try to show representation for... For black communities, uh, one of my dear friends uh, is like drawing art for our kids' rooms that reflects them as like princesses and superheroes that are black. Queens. Yeah, yeah, yes, queens (laughs) uh, as they are in, you know, as black. And then also recognizing that our son is biracial. And so while we talk about the history you know, well, he's only one, but as we begin to figure out how we talk about the antithesis of black versus white in America and to know that he will grow up in a place that talks about North versus South, slave versus free, black versus white. How do, how do we show him that reconciled in our family? Mm -hmm. Cause he is of both worlds and you know, we don't, which is a good thing, which is a beautiful thing um, and a God honoring thing, but we know the world would tell him otherwise. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we, we still have to figure some of this out, but part of it is allowing both sides of our families, black and white extended, uh, to speak into our kids and to yeah. us and how much they love them. Uh, and for them to understand that that is the goal of reconciliation yeah. in a way, yeah. uh, living life with them and together and, talking through things we disagree on on a wide spectrum of things and understanding that that is yet at the end of the day we still love each other that is part of the reconciliation that that is it's not the dismissive agree to disagree it's a well let's come back to this later let me keep reading let me keep learning let us Mm -hmm. keep talking and understand this is a relationship and a process uh and so i think that's where we are yeah i think so Okay. Uh, last question. 
What do you find joy slash hope in during this time? Hulu, Netflix, <laughs> Disney Plus. You think he's joking, but he's not. HBO Max. <laughs> yes. Yes. Podcast. Talk about fights at the beginning of our marriage. I did not understand. Sally's baking addiction. Joy comes from TV and cookies. <laughs> and french fries. Chick-fil-A yep. sauce on the side. Ugh, Cheetos. Okay, so I could go on and on. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, actually, I do know. Literally, the laughter my kids bring. I know other people said that, but I, when I hear Isaiah's sort of <laughs> laugh, he's got these sort of round, weird, small teeth for such a big-headed kid. He does, doesn't he? Does. he? I'm not doing that before, uh, but he really does. And, like, he doesn't, like, laugh to show his gums. Like, you just get a little bit of his short rounded teeth and it's like this <laughs> like he he rarely is just like a full belly laugh so that laugh mixed with our daughter's like infectious loud huge grin giggle laugh and when they can start going together like yeah. literally the world melts away f- for me yeah. and I and it feels like a gift a literal gift from God uh, that they do that or um that combined with our daughter is probably love language is going to be touch. Like she loves oh to goodness. touch. Uh, and if you know anything about me, we said that is not my thing. But she will just come up to me yeah. and sort of put her arm around my shoulders. Or sometimes she'll just tell me to touch her face and be like, how are you, daddy? And like literally it, it melts me every time. She could, ask, she could get out of any trouble she wanted to in that moment. I didn't know most that. Most of the time. Um... And I mean that that was so their laughter analyzes like actual like loving touch uh because it's not all the time with me she touches Holly way all more the <laughs> all the time and they so it's rarer for me uh but those two things literally give me joy and lift the burdens for a little bit uh it's an actual gift and I can feel lighter when it's happening it's really sweet um, I think um, I thought about not saying it because I don't want it to seem mushy. Um, but and Aaron hates this type of thing. Um, but truly, like our marriage. Oh, <laughs> told y'all. Um, just because I think I am someone who struggles with feeling in. Like, if I don't feel like I'm competent in something, that's really hard for me. Um, and then also, if I feel like injustice is happening, um, that's really hard for me. And so, this journey has kind of been the marriage of both of those. Like, incompetence um, in in the sense of, like, being ignorant and having to learn. And then also, as my eyes have become open to injustice, like so much anger I've had to work through um and I know I I think I said this last week but like truly like I feel like one aspect of God's blessing and God's gift in our marriage has been allowing me to go on this journey and allowing me to have my eyes open to so much of the bigger reality I guess you could call it um and so 
for me, there really is hope and joy in our marriage of just being able to have these conversations and knowing how much we both have fought for each other and supported each other to get even to where we are individually, but also joint in our marriage. Um, and I know that if we can do it, like other people can do it. Like yeah. we're not, we're not that cool. No. We decided today we were not cool. Actually, we're not cool parents. Uh, I had to break the news to Aaron. He took it pretty hard. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, I mean, I'll have, again, not wanting to sound mushy, but what Aaron said is true. Like with our kids, they've been playing really well together for small amounts of time. About the wood. Um, but they used to not play well together for any amount of time. And so um, seeing, seeing them know this is normal and having a white extended family and a black extended family and seeing how they light up when they see either set of grandparents, when they see either set of cousins, like um, also just brings my heart good to know like in our little corner of the world this is what we are fighting for what our families are fighting for um and our kids are valued and loved equally from both sides um and that that gives me hope too um and i just heard jamie ivy say on that podcast where she interviewed lecrae but like she and her husband she said firmly wholeheartedly believe that stories change people and stories change the world um which is why we started this podcast you know yeah. that we're hoping that our story that our friends stories who we've interviewed can help change other little corners of the world um yeah. and so that truly does give me hope yeah. uh and we thank you for listening and we hope it gives you hope as well uh if if you are enjoying this, please, it is not too late. Uh, <laughs> subscribe, leave a five-star review, uh, leave a comment. Actually, write a comment yeah. and let us know what you appreciate about the post. If you don't appreciate it, you can just send us an email. You don't need to write it on the <laughs> podcast thing. But you really mean that. Like, it's yeah. at thereconciledlife at gmail.com, and we'd love to also find out if there are other things you wish we would talk about or, or have ideas because we're going to wrap up season one next week with our big sort of uh history 101 to today i don't know what we're going to call it but i just like history 101 because i feel like it's a good gimmick uh <laughs> but that's a nerdy gimmick other people are like uh history 101 that sounds no fun but all that to say we are excited about what we're going to do next week and sort of dissecting the past to where we are now um in an hour so it'll be a Big overview. Uh, <laughs> don't be scared. Yeah, don't be scared. We can be scared, but you don't need to be scared. Yes. Um, but yes, please leave a review, leave a five-star rating, tell your friends about it, share it on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. And to shout out to the two listeners who have left yes. us uh, like an actual written review. Um, if you send, I'll tell you what. If you two that have actually sent a, a wrote a review. Uh, Andrea and Chucky. If you all will, well, we know I Andrea. I know Andrea. Andrea. I don't know who checked uh, But either one of you, if you will DM us your, your address, we're going to send you some cookies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cookies is our love language. It is our love language. <laughs> uh, and if everybody leaves a review, we won't have enough time to make everybody cookies. But, you know, hey, it's it's the little things that start. Um <laughs> But that is all we have for you guys this week. Uh, we will be back next week, and that'll be our final episode of the season. Season ending. Yes. Uh, we need a little break to figure out what we want to do for season two. We would love your input on yeah. what you so would again, like to hear. Let us know. We're serious on our Instagram or on our Facebook. You can find us both places at The Reconciled Life. Um, or send us an email and we would love to take into consideration what you would like to hear more of. Yeah. Or a new idea you have. Like we're not bound to this format or any sort. This is just what we came up with. But I'm all about shaking things up. I think tradition's a bad word. Yes. And so, so next season there'll probably be a musical episode. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> y'all have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reconciled Life Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at The Reconciled Life. And please don't forget to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all that we have going on. And always remember, today is a great day to be a little better and do a little more.